Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast. Our mission of teaching people to love God by showing them how much He loves us starts right now. Well, tonight, we're kind of headed into a new season, a new chapter of the year, if, you, if you'll uh, abide with me on that. It's almost like a reset, as in, for some of us, this is like a brand new year. And what I'm talking about is, is summer is over and the school year is starting again. And, and what that means for us is another chance to take a big step forward in what God is calling us to do. For some of us, summer is more of a lackadaisical time. Maybe some of us check out mentally or, or start to focus on vacation, summer jobs, things like that. And we're not as studious as we might uh, usually be. Or, or maybe we feel like, Gosh, I can't think when it's hot. Anybody? That's me. Um, but fall is here, and it's a great time for a fresh start. I don't know about y'all, but I, I felt like I was filling out um, maybe that that romance profile because it's like, fall is my favorite time of the year. I love long, long walks on the beach. The weather starts to change. The leaves get beautiful. Football kicks up again. And, uh, of course, they bring the pumpkin spice latte back at Starbucks. Uh, the funny thing, I don't even like pumpkin. But all that to say, I'm a sucker for sentiment. I like holidays. I like time spent with family. I like the thought of it getting cooler because, needless to say, we live in the armpit of Texas. Just just kidding. Okay. So as we approach this new season, I, I'd like to take our time tonight and talk about something that may get passed over a lot, something that we don't necessarily talk about very often, but we probably focus on more often than we realize. And what I'm talking about tonight is failure. I'm talking about failure. And failure is a lack of success, a falling short, an inability to complete or achieve something. Modern psychologists have said that we focus like 10 times more on our failures than our successes. When we have a success, we go, hey, that's, that's great. And we kind of tuck it away. But when we fail at something, it comes back and it eats at us from time to time. And so what I'd like to address tonight is failure as a follower of God, failure in the things that we attempt, failure in various areas of life, and what it can do to shape us and how God can use it to strengthen our walks in Him. And so I was thinking about uh, some of our students going back to school. And if you know, I'm, I'm currently the youth, youth pastor here at the church. And, and uh, you know, I used to be young. <laughs> I felt like I had my ear to the ground with young people. But now that's not, so, that's not so evident. But I started to think about our kids going back to school and what that would mean. And I started to fantasize about what kind of advice would I give my teenage self if I could? And so I'll pose that question to you. If you could tell your teenage self one thing, what would it be? For some of us, we say, hey, don't eat carbs. You know, that'd be great. You remember that, that one injury you're going to get? Just avoid that day and, and you know, you'll don't, you won't have backache or neckache or knee pain, whatever that might be. Or maybe it's, um, you know, you met that person and you should just stay away from them or you shouldn't go to this school. You shouldn't take this job. You remember you're going to buy that car. It's a, it's a lemon. Don't buy it. And so, of course, in my brain, I started to get all like back to the future brain and I started to think of like the butterfly effect. And I'm like, well, what if you change something major? And then the whole course of, of the future changed. And so I thought, well, what if we had to limit it instead of like, uh, instead of a real idea, what if it just became a concept? And I came up with four words. Four words. Buy Apple stock now. Okay. Nope. That's going to change the future. That's wrong. You know what those four words would, would be in all seriousness to my teenage self? It's okay to fail. It's okay to fail. You know, I... um. I probably was told this as a high schooler, but I don't recall it. And it's something that I was probably told, but, you know, those critical voices in our heads, they come and they drown out those things that are so beneficial to us. Please tell me I'm not the only one that hears the voices 
of criticism in your own head at times. Show of hands, anyone? Amen. I mean, it happened yesterday. I was just, I was thinking, and all of a sudden that voice comes, and it's just, it's just trying to drown out the good things in our in our heads and and what God is telling us. And so, you know, that was something that if I could tell my teenage self, and I could tell even the youth in our church or anyone for that matter, it's okay to fail because I believe those words are important for every believer of Jesus to receive, to know. And I also believe that those words would have saved me a lot of grief and heartache and and indecision. Can I be real and, and vulnerable with you guys tonight? I remember growing up as a teenager, and to be honest, I was a Pharisee. And, and what I mean by that was outside, I, I looked one way. I looked clean and, and proper on the outside. I looked almost pure on the outside because that's what the Pharisees were. They were perfect on the outside. But you know what Jesus said about them on the inside? He said, you are full of dead men's bones. You're crypt keepers on the inside. You're like whitewashed sepulchers, which is basically a tomb. And for me, what that meant was I grew up in church, essentially, and at the age of either 14 or 15, I became a, uh, a pastor's kid. My dad got ordained, and, and so I lived a double life. And part of that for me was I went to church on Sunday, and it was like, oh, you know, and, and I tried to put on that, that righteous face and act like I was holier than thou. But during the rest of the week, I didn't live that. I lived how I wanted to live. And so we see that that's exactly what the Pharisees were doing. They would act like they were holier than everyone else, and yet they would judge people for the very things that they were doing that was keeping them in sin. And so um, for me, my salvation experience wasn't coming from a life of rowdiness and coming from the party scene or the la vida loca, as Pastor Ben loves to say. That wasn't my salvation experience. In fact, my salvation experience was coming to terms with my religious piety to receive true acceptance from Jesus. And and you know what? Even though I've received salvation and I know God has saved me through grace, Pharisee is a hard battle to fight. Just think about our study in Galatians. The Judeans, you know, they came and, and the Galatians were so excited to receive the free gift of life. And then when the Judaizers came and they were like, you have to be circumcised, you have to do this. All of a sudden they were like, salvation plus this equals better salvation. And Paul was like, are you kidding me? And he really literally said that. He's like, oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? And so maybe you're like me, maybe, uh, maybe being a Pharisee is something that you have to battle with. And as a teenage Pharisee, I remember that I expected perfection from myself. And, and to be truthfully, or to be honest, sometimes I still do. And if you've known me for any amount of time, I, I can still be a bit of a perfectionist. And when I feel like I'm failing is when I struggle the most. Now, I was uh, researching this for this teaching, and I want to tell you this is not a confined case or a rare occurrence. In fact, I found today that a CNN article from August 4th said that suicide rates among young women between the ages of 15 to 19 is at an all-time high. Five out of every 100,000 died last year or died in 2015. That's one in every 20,000. To put that number in perspective, if we have 80,000 young women here in Lubbock, between the ages of 15 and 19, that means, that means four will die this year of suicide. The sad thing is that boys' numbers aren't far behind. In fact, the number of suicides in boys has doubled from the year 2007 to the year 2015. And the article itself said that these suicides were fueled by perfectionism and pressure to perform. We're setting a standard for these kids that they're receiving from social media, and when they don't think that their life matches up or when they think 
that they are inadequate. They don't know how to deal with it. One story I came across said a young person didn't have enough money to pay their bills and their mortgage or their rent for that month. And in their despair, they killed themselves in their shame. They didn't know how to deal with it. And, and that's, the, that's the, the danger and that's the warning that I feel is that we are raising a generation that doesn't know how to fail. That's a scary thought. So my hope tonight after this message is we'll know, one, it's okay to fail. Of course, we can't stay there in our failure. And then number two, what to do when we fail. And so let me say this. Intentionally, I'd, I'd name this uh, teaching, originally I named this teaching Failing Forward, is because when we fail, we have to fail forward. And what I mean by that is when we fail, we have to fail towards God's grace and not backward towards Satan's condemnation to emerge from a fail better and not bitter. Because the enemy of our soul, the devil, wants to use failure as a weapon against us to imprison us and to eventually kill us. Let me say that again. The enemy of our soul, the devil, wants to use failure as a weapon against us to imprison us and eventually kill us. But God wants to use it as a lesson for us to strengthen us and to free us unconditionally. And so let's jump in to our first text tonight. We're going to do a little bit of Bible Kung Fu, a little bit of Bible calisthenics as we have to turn around. If you want to follow me, we're in Proverbs 24, 16, and it reads, For a righteous man may fall seven times and rise again, but the wicked shall fall by calamity. Here we have a amazing, an amazing nugget of wisdom from King Solomon. It says it um, this way in the New Living Translation. The godly may trip seven times, but they will get up again. For a righteous man may fall seven times and rise again, but the wicked shall fall by calamity. You know what the difference between failing and being a failure is? A failure quits forever. It's like they're one and done. It's a, if you're a boxing fan here, it's like a first-round knockout. That's what the Bible is saying about the wicked. They come up against one problem, one calamity, and bam, they hit the mat. It's 10 count, and it's over. It's KO. But one who fails to get, or one who fails and then gets back up is not a failure. They've just failed. And so our encouragement from this verse is to be a godly man or woman and by the strength of God to get back up. The righteous get better from failure. The the wicked don't even get up. And so as we go through our study tonight, I have got uh, for you four fantastically freeing facts about failure. That's a lot of words that begin with F. You don't have to write the word fantastically. You could just say four freeing facts about failure. And I want to give those to you along with examples from Scripture to verify and support our findings. Four freeing facts about failure. Fact number one, this is so simple. We all fail. If you were to start driving down Romans Road, you get to stop number one. And some of us have this memorized. It's Romans chapter 3, verse 23. It says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Guys, that's, that's so key, is to realize that we can't be perfect. There was only one in this whole world who's ever been perfect, and his name is Jesus. And when we try... To strive for perfection, we're going to fail miserably, but not in the way that we get back up from. We're going to fail, and we're not going to be able to get back up. And so we realize that we all have fallen, and we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We all fail, and we all fall short. Expecting perfection of ourselves is like expecting our gummy bears to talk. It just ain't going to happen. And I don't know if you want gummy bears now, but I do. Okay. Not only do we all fail, 
But the Bible is full of examples of heroes of the faith failing too. And so I want to give you three quick examples from this point of we all fail. Uh, do you guys remember Abraham? You know, Father Abraham had many sons. Okay, Father Abraham, all the way back in Genesis chapter 12. The guy who believed God so much that he had a child at the age of a 100. Can you imagine stepping on a Lego at the age of 105? How bad that would hurt? Or 20 years later, believing God, Abraham believed God so much that he was willing to sacrifice the son of promise, Isaac, to the point where he had the knife raised until God said, Abraham, I was just seeing if you were going to be faithful. I was making sure that he wasn't an idol. And so, yeah, that's the Abraham we're talking about. Abraham, who's called a friend of God because he was justified by his faith. Yeah, that Abraham, he failed big time, multiple times. And, and we know about the big ones, the, the time where he tried to help God out, <laughs> Ishmael, you know. But let's talk about one where he failed that we may not know as well. It's in Genesis chapter 12, verse 10. If you want to turn there, you're welcome to. I'm going to read it out for you. It says, now there was a famine in the land, and Abram, he's not even Abraham yet, went down to Egypt to dwell there, for the famine was severe in the land. And here we find Abram, having just reached God's intended place for him, the promised land, the land of Canaan. And what we find him doing is he lets fear and doubt steer the ship and drive him to Egypt. Now, let me read that verse again. It says, Now there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to dwell there, for the famine was severe in the land. At first read, we might say, uh, Pastor Josh, that sounds like the smart thing to do. You missed the fact that there was a severe famine in the land, as in no food or water. You know what? I'd agree with you. I'd say those are valid points. But this is God we're talking about. This is the God who can move the mountains. We also call him Jehovah Jireh, my provider. And so the fact is that Abram went, and you can say it with me, down. Say down. Down. He went down to Egypt. And that's indicative of the direction that he went and also spiritually went because Egypt is a type of the world. Because of fear and doubt, Abram went to the world for what he should have trusted God for. And so we don't want to miss this because this is what drove Abraham. It was fear. And fear is the enemy of faith. Let me say that again if you're writing, if you're taking notes. Fear is the enemy of faith. Fear will keep us frozen and not the Disney movie. Fear will keep us from fulfilling God's plan for our lives. If you think about it, Paul knew that his Padawan, his protege, Timothy, often struggled with fear. And so he said in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6, he said, God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power and love and self-discipline. And so the question that we have to ask tonight, looking and examining Abraham's failure, is what are we being called to do by God that fear is keeping us from? What are we being called to do by God that fear is keeping us from? Or what big thing is God calling us to do that is being held back by fear? You know, we don't even, we can't ask this only as individuals. We also have to ask this as a church. We have to ask, what is the next big step for Calvary Chapel Lubbock? Where would God want us to go that we might be afraid of? You know, we keep talking about planning a church in Seminole, and, and we're trying to ask the Lord to line those things up. But I, you know, if you ask me, am I afraid to plant a church in Seminole? I'll say, yeah. You know, it's a lot of, um, it's a lot of moving pieces, you know, and it's going to take resources. It's going to take a lot of faith. But when we let fear drive, we never get the, the place that God is wanting us to go. In fact, we always end up back in the world. So we have Abraham, and unfortunately at that time when he failed, he was led by fear. We also have Moses. And so Moses is another patriarch with a past. 
He's a patient and humble leader. He was tasked with leading the children of Israel from Egypt to the promised land. And boy, did he have his hands full. He had over 2 million people who loved to complain. At two different times, they were in the wilderness and they came to a place where there was no water and the people were thirsty and they were demanding a drink. And so during the first time, God, wanting to foreshadow Jesus' coming and wanting to foreshadow uh, the crucifixion, he told Moses, hey, you see that giant rock over there? I want you to take this staff that, that you've done so many miraculous, that I've done so many miraculous works with through your hands. I want you to take the staff and I want you to go over and I want you to strike the rock. And what that's going to represent is later on Jesus being struck and his blood pouring out and covering us and, and him washing us with this, with his blood. And so Moses went over and he struck the rock and water came out enough to basically satiate or satisfy the thirst of over two million people and their animals. And so later on, they come to another place without water and the people, they start complaining again. And it's like, you know, Moses, you're terrible. We're going to go back to go back to Egypt. They at least they had melons and leeks. And they're saying the dumbest things because they were they were straight up slaves and they're their firstborn sons were being thrown into a river and drowned, and yet here they are glorifying it in their heads. And so they're saying, we're so thirsty, we have nothing to drink. And Moses at this point, you know, it's kind of like when you're getting upset and, you know, you're starting to see red, and, and he had had it up to here. So he went over to God, and he's like, God, they're thirsty again. And, and God graciously looked at Moses, and he said, okay, all right, I'm going to provide water but I'm going to do it in a different way. So I want you to go over and I want you to speak to the rock because I'm going to I want you to signify that the work's already been done and now we have this amazing relationship and I want you to, to represent me righteously before the people. And Moses goes, all right, God, I'll do that. And so he goes back and the first person that was like, I'm thirsty, Moses went off. He went crazy. You know what he said? He said, you rebels. And he called them the 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 word, the Hebrew word is moros. And, and that's where we get our word morons. He's like, you morons want some water? And he goes, must we bring water from this rock? All of a sudden it's like, whoa, Moses, don't say we because it's not you, it's God. And he's failing big time here because he goes up to that rock and he takes his staff. And, and I mean, this was a Babe Ruth epic swing. It was like, whoo, he was swinging for the fences and he hit the rock and water just gushed out of it. And Moses went back and was like, I gave you water. I'll show you what's up. You want a drink? You take a drink. You know, he was all mad. And all of a sudden, God's like, Moses, come here. You you misrepresented me. You failed. You failed because in Moses' anger and disobedience, he failed. And so, as we said, fear is the enemy of faith. Now we see that disobedience is the enemy of righteousness. And these are kind of like, I mean, right over here you have fear and and the opposite is faith and then you have disobedience and you have righteousness. And these things are at war in our lives where when we want to take a step of faith, fear is going right there. It's like, you can't do this. You're never going to make it. And when we want to follow God righteously, disobedience is like, come on over here. You know, He's it's spurring us on. And anger Anger trying to stir us up. And so the question we have to ask from that failure is, do we fail to walk righteously with God because of our disobedience? We want to examine our hearts. Another hero of the faith who had an epic failure was David. We know the story. King goes out, sees a woman bathing. King lost after her. Woman gets pregnant. King tries to get the husband to come home and do his thing to cover it up. But the husband is too honorable of a man, and it doesn't work. King tries again, gets him drunk, says, hey, go hang out with your wife. Uriah the Hittite is an honorable man. He's like, no, all of our soldiers are out in the battlefield. It doesn't work. So finally, King David's like, you know what? All right, Uriah, we tried it my way. Got to go the other way. And he has Uriah murdered. And so after Bathsheba, it's time of mourning, David's like, hey, you're a widow. I can marry you. He marries her. Sin is covered up, right? Of course not. Of course, we know the story. Nathan comes and confronts David. 
But you want to hear something crazy? Do you know how the story starts? Let me read it for you in First Samuel chapter 11, or I'm sorry, in Second Samuel chapter 11. It says, in the spring of the year, when kings normally go out to war, David sent Joab and the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites. When kings normally go out to war, David sent Joab. Guess what? Guess where David should have been at that point? He should have been on the battlefield. You know what he chose over that? He chose comfort. It all started with comfort. Instead of going to war, David stayed home. So fear is the enemy of faith. Disobedience is the enemy of righteousness. Guys, comfort is the enemy of growth. Comfort is the enemy of growth. Christian, I tell you tonight, comfort should scare us. Comfort should scare us. Now, now let me be clear. There may be seasons of comfort in our lives that we go through where we're resting in the Lord, and that's a good thing. But if comfort in life is our end goal, if that's the source idol, as Pastor Ben's been talking about, that we've been, that we've set up, it's like all you want to do at any point in your life is just get comfortable. Guys, that's a huge red flag because comfort is the enemy of growth. Guys, the moment that we start, we stop growing, atrophy sets in. And if anybody knows what atrophy is, it's what a patient will experience or someone who's broken a, a limb or someone who's had a time where they've been hospitalized for a long time and sat in a bed. And uh, if you've ever broken an arm or a leg, what happens is that cast is on there for weeks or months. And when you take it off, all of a sudden you look and one arm's like huge and the other arm's like teeny tiny because it's shrunk. And what's happened is you've lost all the progress that you've made uh, as you've built up those muscles. And it's the same thing with a patient who's been in a hospital bed for a long time. They go to walk and all of a sudden their muscles don't work because they don't know how to. And so what happens to a Christian who gets comfortable is all of a sudden all of the progress that we've made fades away. And I know it sounds paradoxical, but we have to thank God for the tasks, the trials, the challenges that we go through in life that make us pursue him with everything they ha- that we have to, to make us grow. I asked my wife if I could use this illustration, and she graciously said, yes, my wife has a superpower. And I know that sounds crazy, but she does. And I'll tell you what it is. It is literally falling asleep anywhere, almost at any time. I mean, sometimes I feel like Ma and Pa Kettle because we have like matching recliners and we'll be sitting there like holding hands. And the other night, I swear, she was like, she was taking off her glasses. She says, I'm going to go to And she was out. And I was like, oh, I wish I had that on video because her breathing changed. She was gonzo. And I was like, oh my gosh. And, and there'll be times where it's just like, she can fall asleep anywhere, anytime. And I'm, I'm, I mean, I could go on. I'm not going to go on because we don't have that much time. But I will say this. The other day we were taking a road trip and she usually never wants to sleep on a road trip, but she was so tired. And I said, baby, go to sleep. You know, you're tired. We have all this time to stay up tonight. And so I look over and she's like, and then two minutes later, she, she moves and I'm like, oh my gosh, her superpower's broken. We found her kryptonite. And you know what her kryptonite was? It was being uncomfortable. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is a perfect teaching illustration because you know what Satan loves more than a dead Christian? A sleepy Christian. A Christian who is so comfortable in everything that they're doing that they have no sense or awareness of what's going on in this world. And they're not fighting the battle and they're not moving forward and they're not fulfilling the purpose that God has called on them. And so, you know what the kryptonite to to comfort is? Is trials. Uh, We need those things in our life. We have to thank God. Um, James said in in James chapter 1, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, and patience, when it has its perfect work, will make you uh, perfect and complete in Christ. And so, we, uh, we have to ask this. Are we so comfortable that we are failing to attempt great things for God? 
And again, it's not something we just ask individually. We have to ask it as a church body. We need to take steps out of our comfort zone, even if it means failing. So Abraham failed because of fear and doubt. Moses, because of anger and disobedience. And David was chasing comfort. And of course, he was fulfilling sexual immorality. But the sooner we identify the reason we fail, and if it's sin, the sooner we can confess it and deal with it. I found this quote, and I loved it. God uses people who fail because there aren't any other kind of people around. Let me say that again. God uses people who fail because there aren't any other kind of people around. We all fail, but by the grace of God, we get back up, which leads us to fact number two. Fact number two, if we're not failing, we're not trying. Let me say that again. If we're not failing, we're not trying. If you want to, you can turn to Matthew chapter 14. Uh, we're going to start in ver- verse 22, but for the sake of time, I'm going to paraphrase the story. If you remember, um, we, we have, uh, we've already established that we all fall. And so we have to try. And, and of course, we look at some of these Bible characters, um, and one of them who gets some of the most flack is the Apostle Peter, and, and he's who we're going to talk about now. It's in Matthew chapter 14. Jesus and the disciples got separated, and so he sent them on in the boat while he closed up shop, he closed up church, and sent people home. And so in the middle of the night, he decided to catch up with them by walking on water. And so the disciples are there, the apostles are rowing, and they see Jesus, and they're afraid it's a ghost. And so immediately, which is so neat because Jesus calms our fears, he, he yells out, it's me. Hey, it's just me. Don't worry. And so Peter, you know, looking out into the darkness as he sees this white figure coming towards him, he goes, hey, if that's really you, Jesus, then call me out of the boat to come to you. And of course, what does Jesus say? Come. And so Peter, all of a sudden, gets out of the boat. And lo and behold, Peter is walking on water. I mean, it doesn't say how many steps he takes, but the next thing you know, his weight beyond all physics is actually being supported by water. And it's not a it's not YouTube trickery. Chris Angel's not hiding there with like plexiglass uh, stands or rocks underneath him. Peter is literally walking on water. And it's so crazy because I know we can fault him as he sees the winds and the waves. And, and as he gets terrified, he begins to sink. Of course, he yells out, save me, Lord Jesus. And there is a whole Bible study that we can have about how, G- how Peter loses focus on Jesus and he, and he looks at those other elements. Uh, that's a great principle. But for the sake of our study, I have to ask, how many of the other disciples tried walking on water? You know what? The Bible tells us there are two people who have walked on water, Peter and Jesus. And that's the thing. If we don't try things, we are never, if we're not failing, we're never trying. And there are going to be our, there are going to be times where we attempt things for God and they fail. There's going to be steps of faith that we take that don't always succeed. There are going to be ministries that we're involved in or we start up that we try as a church that won't always work. But think about the awesome opportunities we'd miss if we didn't try things by faith. You know what the awesome and wonderful thing about God is? Is sometimes those foolish and ridiculous things that we attempt, they work. You think about Jonathan and his armor bearer. He was like, hey, we're going to go over to the camp of the Philistines and we're going to see if, if God would use us to deliver his people. Because at that point, the children of Israel were outnumbered like a hundred and some thousand to like 600. I mean, it was a, it was terrible odds. And so Jonathan and his armor bearer went over there and they just tried something ridiculous. But if we don't try things, if we don't try things, we're never going to succeed. And, and sometimes if we're not failing, we're not trying. You know, um, we see what happened with Jonathan, but let me say something that's closer to home. How many of you guys know that we're on the radio at 5 p.m. every weekday for In Christ Radio? I mean, you have to look at that and you have to say that's not a work of the flesh because when you, when you view the, the, the 
um, things around it. You know what's so crazy about that? Is when first Pastor Ben went and asked about the time slot, we couldn't afford the time slot. But through a series of crazy random events, God made a way. And then we, uh, we needed to have production on the show. And, and we were paying somebody to produce the show. We couldn't afford production for the show. And so it was like, okay, that's another, you know, it's not going to happen. But God made a way for that too. And then for the longest time, we weren't even recording our, our, our teachings very well. They would come out like, <laughs> you know, it would come out terribly. And so we would have some of the guys from the radio call, like from the, the managers of the radio station calling, and they're like, hey, we can't play this over our radio. It sounds terrible. And so we started to pray. And you know what? God brought the right people in who knew knowledge of how to record uh, our, our teachings better. And um, in all reality, for us to be on the radio at that drive time slot here in the, the metropolitan city of Lubbock, it didn't make any sense at all. And yet we tried this and we, and Pastor Ben kept asking and he kept seeking and all of a sudden through, through no small means of God working, we have that radio show. And I know, you know, to some of us, it's like, oh, that, you know, may not be a big deal. But if you were to go to any like 250,000 person city and ask what a 5 p.m. half hour radio show costs, I mean, it's insane. And it's only by God that we're on this thing. And, and, and that's what's so cool is that if we, if we are not failing, we're never trying. We're never trying anything. Uh, in researching this topic, I found that there were actually countless stories that you can find about people having success through failure. I don't have time to tell them all, but I just wanted to share one. Uh, famed inventor, Thomas Edison, did you know that he was a tough student? In fact, he was hearing impaired and fidgety. If, if they were to diagnose him these days, he'd probably be considered ADHD. And um, he lasted only three months in school because his teachers said he was too stupid to learn anything. He eventually was homeschooled by his mom. He went on to later say regarding his invention of the light bulb, I have not failed. I have just found 10,000 ways that did not work. Thomas Edison is, uh, is accredited as the creator of, um, of course, the light bulb, the microphone, the phonogram, like all these crazy things. And, and it went on to tell this story. At the age of 67, Edison was working on a storage battery. He'd worked on it for 10 years and spent most of his money on development. One cold December night, all of his work, his compounds, his celluloid for records and films and other flammable goods, all spontaneously combusted. In the area that they were living, eight Companies of firefighters from surrounding towns were called to try to put out the flames, but the heat was so intense and the water pressure was so low that everything was consumed. Over two hundred or over two million dollars of assets were destroyed, but the buildings were only insured for two hundred thirty-eight thousand dollars because they were concrete and at the time they thought they were fireproof. Edison's 24-year-old son, Charles, searched frantically for his father during the fire. When he finally found him, calmly watching the fire, his, fa his face glowing in the reflection, his white hair blowing in the wind, my heart ached for him, said Charles. He was 67, no longer a young man, and everything was going up in flames. When he saw me, he shouted, Charles, where's your mother? When I told him I didn't know, he said, find her, bring her here. She'll never see anything like this again as long as she lives. I mean, talk about your, your guy with a great attitude. And so the next morning, Edison looked at the ruins and he said this, there is great value in disaster. All our mistakes are burned up. Thank God we can start anew. Three weeks later after the fire, Edison managed to deliver the first phonograph. I love that line. Thank God we can start anew. And that leads us to fact number three. Through Jesus, failure is never the end of the story. Failure is never the end of the story. Can I tell you that God is the God of redemption? He's the comeback king. He's the guy that can take a life that is so ruined and yet save it by grace. You think of a guy like 
Samson, you know, Samson had his eyes plucked out, and yet at the end of his life, he said, God, give me my strength so I can redeem this. And, and then you think of Nebuchadnezzar, who ended up turning into a beast for seven years because he was so prideful. And for seven years, his fingernails grew, and he acted like an animal, and he ate grass out on the, out on the top of the wall. And then after those seven years, God restored his sanity. And, and he says in Daniel chapter 4, I know that it's the God of Daniel who is the God of righteousness. You think of Manasseh, children of Israel's worst king, who, who led Israel into almost more evil than any other king. And yet when he was taken prisoner and held captive in Babylon, he cried out to God and God restored him. You think of John Mark, who essentially because of his actions broke up the dynamic team of Barnabas and, and Paul. And yet later on in his life, Paul said, I need John Mark coming on my side. He's helping me a lot. You think about the prodigal son, the prodigal son who literally told his dad, I want you dead. Give me my stuff because I hope, you're, I hope you die. And yet through his story, through God working and redeeming, he came home and, and, and he was received by his dad and, and he was restored and God is the God of redemption. And so through Jesus, failure is never the end of the story. If we failed, no matter what the consequences, Jesus is our Redeemer. And so that leads us to our final fact, fact number four, and it's kind of long, so I'll say it a couple times. We, as God's sons and daughters, will never fail so bad that we will ever change how God feels about us. Let me say that again. Fact number four, we as God's sons and daughters will never fail so bad that we will ever change how God feels about us. Our last story comes to us from Luke chapter 22. And we're back looking at the apostle Peter and, and we, we see that Peter and Jesus are, are essentially like best friends. Uh, G Peter has always been in Jesus's inner circle, Peter, James, and John. And, and of course, Jesus looked at Peter and he's like, this, this guy, I, I used to call him Pebbles, but I've renamed him Rock because he is Dwayne John. No, because he is a rock. And I see that in him. I see that he has greatness in him. And he saw what Peter could become. But as they are eating the Last Supper, and Jesus is on his way to the cross. It says in Luke chapter 22, verse uh, 31, it says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you, each, each of you like wheat, but I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. So when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. And here, Peter, at this point, he's very uh, defiant. He says, Lord, I am ready to go to prison with you and even to die with you. But Jesus said, Peter, let me tell you something. Before the rooster crows tomorrow, you will deny me. You will deny three times that you even know me. And so we jump down to verse 60 in the story, and we know that, that Judas has come and betrayed Jesus with a kiss, and now he's going through these different trials out in Caiaphas's and Anaphas's house, and John has gotten backstage access to this. And so Peter is around that fire, and they're asking him about Jesus. And of course, he's already denied him once. And then he's denied twice. And it says in verse 60, but Peter said, man, I do not know what you are saying when they asked if he knew Jesus. And immediately while he was still, still speaking, the rooster crowed. And it says in verse 61, it's one of the most powerful points of scripture. It says, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said to them, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So Peter went out and whipped, wept bitterly. Now you think, you know, Peter's like, I, I swear. And he starts, uh, it says that he's cursing. He's like, a curse be on me if I'm telling a lie. I don't know this guy. And they're like, but wait, you're a Galilean. You even have like a Galilean dialect. And he's like, I don't know what you're talking about. And right then, all the way across the courtyard, Jesus turns and looks at Peter as the rooster crows. And when you think about what that look meant, I have to tell you, for a long time, I had the wrong idea of what that look was. 
Do you guys know that wasn't a look of condemnation? It wasn't a look of consternation. It wasn't angry eyes. It wasn't like, I told you so. It wasn't a chicken nag where like, oh boy. You know, it wasn't that at all. Do you know what it was for real? It was the look that only Jesus could give. And it was a look between Peter and Jesus that said, Peter, I love you. This changes nothing. This doesn't affect the way I feel about you. I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to forsake you. In fact, I'd already made the decision to go for, to the cross, and I'm going to pay for that sin. I love you unconditionally. And so Peter, responding rightly, he went out and wept bitterly. But by the grace of God, when he failed, he got back up. We see that Judas had a similar experience where he went out and wept bitterly. But he was a wicked man. And because he reacted like that, he had a much more devastating outcome. As a Christian, I don't know if I can explain this enough. We don't have good days and bad days with God. There's not days where God's like, oh, you did good today. And days where God's like, oh, you are just, you're in the doghouse. There's never those days. There's never a time where God loves you any more or he loves you any less. The day that you became a Christian, Jesus sees you as the righteousness of Jesus. And when he looks at you, he loves you unconditionally. There's nothing that you can do that will disappoint him. There's nothing that you can do that will extra please him. He is pleased with you as much as he is pleased with Jesus. And when we see that, we should find so much freedom in that, that when we fail, God's not there going, I told you so, you're a loser, just stay down. He's not saying that at all. He's saying, you're my son and you're my daughter. You're righteous, you're holy in my sight. Get back up. Ephesians says, for by grace we have been saved through faith. And that's how God views us, not by works but by his grace. And that's what grace does. It changes everything. Romans 8.38 says, nothing can ever separate us from God's love. That's fact number four. We will never change how God feels about us. And I hope that gives us freedom. I hope that that helps us to know that when we fail, that God is there. He's not there condemning us. He's there clapping for us. He's there cheering us on. He's saying, come on, come on, run, run with endurance. And so what do we do when we fail? I want to give you four keys to failing forward. Four keys to failing forward. What do we do when we fail? Number one, we acknowledge our failures and not make excuses. We acknowledge our failures and not make excuses. Number two, we confess our sin when sin is involved. And guys, we, we fail at times where sin is not involved. And, and what we do is we just learn from those. Uh, John C. Maxwell says that every failure is a stepping stone to success. And I want to tell you, these days, we have to be careful of how we define success because God defines success so much differently than the world defines success. When we look at financial and we look at material, when we look at relational, we cannot look at what the world sees as successful and, and mirror that because we'll never live up to it. We have to realize that God sees us as successful in his sight when we walk for him righteously, when we live for him and when we press on. And so we acknowledge our failures and we don't make excuses for it. We confess our sin when sin is involved. And then number three, we learn from our experience so hopefully we don't do it again. Uh, there's, a, there's a quote going around, especially what's going on within our nation. It says, those who forget the past are doomed to repeat it. So we learn from our experience so we hopefully don't do it again. And, and sometimes we do because sometimes we're sheep and sheep are stupid. But we don't do it again. We learn from our experience. God wants to use it as a lesson so we move forward. And then 
This last one, number four, is super important. We put it behind us and we move forward. We put that failure behind us and we move forward. Philippians 3, verses 13 and 14 says, Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended. This is Paul speaking. But one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press forward toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. When we fail, we fail forward. We press on and we learn through our experiences. Through the grace of God and by the power of the Holy Spirit, when we fall, we don't give up, we get back up. When we fall, we don't give up, we get back up. Let's pray. Jesus, tonight, Lord, we're so thankful for your grace. God, and I know at times I don't understand it. Lord, and I think I cheapen it in my heart sometimes because I just don't realize how powerful it is. And Father, I know that, God, when we try to make ourselves righteous by works, Lord, we do cheapen your grace. And so help us, Lord, to find the freedom to fail, Lord, the freedom to to know, God, that you love us unconditionally and that, Jesus, we want to take steps of faith, bold steps of faith in this life, even if we fall flat on our face, God. And again, you're not there going, hey, you failed, and, and take that. But what you're doing, Lord, is you're saying, come on, get up. Lord, you're like that dad at the Olympics who jumped out of the stands helping his son finish the race, God. Come to the finish line. And so tonight, Lord, we thank you for that. Even now, Father, we pray. We thank you, God. Hey, this is Pastor Josh. I hope this message has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. If it has, we would love to hear your story of how it has impacted you, or especially if you responded to the invitation to receive Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior. To get in touch or to receive more information, please contact us by phone at 806-799-2227 or send an email to calvarylubbock at hotmail.com. Again, that phone number is 806-799-2227. Also, if you want to partner with us financially to take the gospel to West Texas and the world, please click on the Donate button on calvarychapellubbock.org. Thanks for listening to the podcast. May God richly bless you.